we do a, a YouTube channel, podcast, whatever. This is our third year doing it, and so check it out if you want. Mike Charleston Show, it's fun. Joshua does all the editing, so that was all him. And uh, my, my kids are a little techie, I guess, and uh, they didn't get that from me. But uh, my, my daughter, uh, Lydia, gets most of the credit, and deservedly so, even though I did some of it. And Hannah and Elizabeth did uh, some of the intro video. We had a new intro video, and we were experimenting with 3D text, and let me tell you, you need education for that. And uh, so she took a break from school and learned all that, and uh, so that's kind of uh, fun for her. Um, so anyway, be before we get started, I might as well get some of these announcements out of the way, because I really want, don't want to do them later, I guess. Um, there is uh, uh, the... Oh, the singing at the gazebo. So there's, no gonna, there's not going to be a bonfire later. So instead, if you have your instruments or you just you grab a hymnal or whatever, at the gazebo over here, uh, it's not going to be a Hallmark movie, but we're going to be in the gazebo and we're going to um, play some songs and whatever, just whatever you guys want to do out there instead of the bonfire. And, uh, and there's also this men and boys volleyball game that they wanted to promote and after this session you might know what a men and boy is so maybe that will uh, help out uh, the um, so anyway the t-shirts and stuff back there uh, this is the last day well tomorrow's last day but I, I, some people may not have cash with them I noticed they were at, people were asking about PayPal there is a sign back there if you wanted to PayPal just grab the shirts you can you can pay you can pay us that when you get home if that if that's uh, better we, we don't care um, so anyway, all right, uh, I'm going to do something very difficult, and I'm going to ruin the camp here, so uh, uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed it so far, because it's about to spiral downward, it's circling the drain right now, but because uh, uh, I'm going to be speaking here, and I'm, what, I'm, what I originally wanted to do, when I, after last camp, we started talking about what we wanted. Even before uh, the camp, while we were planning, I was already thinking of this camp. Uh, last year we didn't necessarily have a theme, and I wanted to have a theme, and I already had in my heart freedom. And, and so I wanted to do a theme on freedom. And I wanted to get a number of speakers, and I didn't really want to speak, I wanted to do the breakouts. The, the, we had breakouts, and, uh, and I'm, a little bit better at breakouts than I am doing this. And what I mean by that is, uh, to me, breakouts are a little bit more personable and we can talk and, and, and let me explain what we do at our church. We, we're not used, we don't do this. We don't do this at our, our fellowship. Uh, it's a very small fellowship and basically everyone is here in, in the front rows. And uh, we share and a lot of the men will take turns uh, sharing uh, from scripture and all that, but it's not very long, and we interrupt each other quite often and ask questions, and uh, it's a little bit more interactive. That ain't so here, and so we're not used to going 45 minutes straight, you know, and uh, so this is going to be a challenge for us. Larry was a little nervous, and rightly so, because he hasn't done that, and, um, but he did, did a good job. And uh, so what I wanted to do was do more um, I don't know even know why I'm explaining this to you, but maybe because if I fail badly, then you'll understand. 
uh, I wanted to do some breakout sessions, and I just couldn't find anyone to speak. Uh, I asked a few people, and they, they said they couldn't or they didn't want to. And so I said, well, hey, the Mike Charleston show can do it. We can have Larry and Chuck and me, and then we found Robert Breaker to do the one fill-in, and uh, I said, we, we'll do that. And, uh, but I, I wanted to do a breakout session, so I'm trying to do, what I'm saying is, I want to do three messages in one. And so it's not exactly the Trinity, it's more like modalism. So it's going to be like one, two, and three. And so hopefully it'll make sense. If you know what modalism is, it's funny. But, uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> okay. But uh, anyway, it's already failing. <laughs> so, uh, can I get a drink of water? <laughs> it's getting hot here. <laughs> Is the air on in here? <laughs> Don't turn the air down. It's already cold in here. <laughs> so, uh, I really hope you guys have enjoyed this weekend. It has been a, a smaller crowd than the last few years. Uh, not by much, but it's a smaller group. But I tell you what, you guys... I think this group has sung the loudest uh, of all the groups. It, it, you know, I, I was asking Rebecca that, and she was like, yeah, I think so too. And I don't know if Sarah and Chuck would agree, but it's been pretty loud. I like that. That's good. My wife really likes that. And um, uh, so the loud, loud is good. So I appreciate that. Thank you for singing, man. That is good stuff. I, I hope you enjoyed the music too, but um, you guys did a good job. Okay, so... What I'm going to try to do here, it's not a good start when the guy sighs already, right? Um, I want to talk about what it is to be a man, and then a transition from boyhood to adulthood, specifically with the parents. I've noticed parents and children struggling throughout the years. We've been doing this seven years. And this is not to pick on any one person in here because I think a lot of us are in the same boat here. And I feel like something needs to be said. We need to figure something out before it gets worse. And so then we're going to transition from that into freedom, which is the message I really, really, really like to preach about. In fact, this, this afternoon I was in here just trying to figure some things out. I've been going back and forth where to go with this. And... I almost want to just chuck it all and say, you know what, I just want to talk about how much Jesus loves you. And, and just like, God is so good to us. You know, we were singing Psalm 90, and I, I love that song. And, you know, it just his goodness. God is good. I hope you don't forget that. Our God is good. He's good to us. He's good to other people, too, at times. I mean, he's, he's merciful and gracious, and, and he's powerful, and he's lovely, and he's awesome. And, and we get a chance to participate in, in worshiping him. That is awesome. And I wish, I hope, and I know some of you understand that, but I hope everyone in here really, truly understands what that means and, and like, can, can really connect with God and be like, the creator of the universe, think about it. Tonight is a good night to go outside. The moon is beautiful right now. I don't know if it was a full moon last night or tonight, it's close. But it's still big and awesome. And that's just a small part of his creation, man. It is wonderful. God, our God is awesome. Anyway, okay, speaking of men. Okay, 
So uh, some of this stuff I got from Family Life Today, if you know Family Life Today, so I, I want to give them a little credit. I want to say I, I came up with all this. I stole some of their stuff. It's all right to steal other people's stuff, right? Um, I hope so. <laughs> so um, this was a letter from a lady who, a, a group of ladies that got together and wanted their pastor at their church in Denver, I guess, somewhere, Colorado, and was saying, like, this was a letter to the men, and so then the pastor there wanted to speak on men. So here, here I'm just going to read it, and uh, it might be a little long, but bear with me. And these are some questions, and these are pointed questions. And men, let's think about these things. Young men, boys, young men, becoming men, think about these things. Where are the men who actually do what they promise? Where are the men who don't leave when time gets hard? Times get hard. Where are the men that when they get angry, the family feels safer because they know his anger is directed at protecting them and not hurting them? Ooh. Where are the men who want to love me, not just get in bed with me? Where are the men who really walk with God, not just say they walk with God? Where are the men who are not just childlike pouting boys who want to get their way? Where are the men who obey God's word rather than pick and choose verses of the Bible that they think apply to them? Mm. Where are the warriors who will protect me and my children? Because all I've seen are men who are bullies or wusses that don't make me feel safe. Where are the men who will actually lead me spiritually? Where are the men who will make me feel safe? Where are the men that I can trust when I'm alone with him? Where are the men that I can trust when he's alone by himself? Where are the good men? That's big. That's deep. That's tough. It just got quiet in here. <laughs> I don't mean it to be that deep, you know, but this is a big job, man. A man's job is important. I hope you know that. I think we know that. Young men, pay attention to this. There's a lot of, we counted 11 families that are newly, fairly newly married within like in the last five years that are here. That is awesome. I really like that. Man, uh, that means you didn't just come here to get a, a spouse and leave. You, you, you enjoyed the fellowship, man. I hope so. Uh, but this is a man, a man's job is very important. As a man goes, so does the culture. And look at our culture. What does that say about the men in this culture? They dropped the ball. Where, where is the man? In fact, we don't even know what a man is today. A man is so lost. We don't even know what defines a man. A man is like, we don't, when you ask a guy, what is a man? They don't know. So at this point, the women are going to check out at this point, right? They're like, I, they're like I, well, he's talking to men, so I don't need to listen. No, 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 no. Listen, women. This is important. You don't need to be pointing fingers or saying, yeah, this is not my husband or boy, you know, this is you, you better listen up. No, this is important that women need to pray for their man, their men, boys, their husbands. This is extremely important. I, I know my wife prays for me and I appreciate it because I know I'm not worthy. <laughs> and yet she prays for me. So if you have a good husband, you have some young men that are doing well and you know some men, Thank them. Thank them for doing a good job. Because us, us men, is that, is that proper? I, I don't know. Us men, we're very fragile at times with our, with our pride and our ego. And, you know, we get beaten down so much and so quickly and so easily. So thank them that are doing well. Encourage them to do well. All right, Jeremiah, let's do this. We got a list here. 
the difference between boys and men, okay? So if you're not sure if you're a boy or a man, it doesn't matter about age, pay attention, all right? Uh, first one here, we got boys take, men give, all right? Which one are you? Boys ask if it feels good. Men ask, is it right? Boys all in as long as it goes the way they want. Men are all in until they finish what they started. Boys are self-indulgent. Men are about sacrificial love. Boys are passive. Men show up. Boys expect others to provide what they lack. Men look around to see what is lacking and provide. Boys consume. There's a lot of that in America. Men produce. Men, boys are born. Men are made. A couple more here. Boys cheat. Men honor their promises. Boys don't control their lusts. Men choose to control their temptations. Boys choose anger fits, and you choose your anger fits. It doesn't just happen. Men choose paths to peace. A boy thinks his life is all about him. It goes for women too, by the way. Boy thinks his life is all about him. Men know his life has been given to him to serve others. That's it, Jeremiah. That's fine. Uh, that's, a, that's a big list there, man. Which one are you on? Young man? Old man? Which one? This is a tough list, man. So we're going back to what the world's image is of a man and what a God's image of a man is, right? Okay, so we have... What is a man? We're not even sure these days. What is a woman? That's been going around, right? What is a woman? We can't define a woman. Well, what is a man? You look around in our society, he's just relegated to a dumb sitcom dad, you know, that just tells jokes and uh, while the wife runs the house, right? Well, in the, in the world's image of a man, especially growing up, I mean, like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, um, you know, it was all about money and wealth. We'd be like, oh, man, that guy, he's, he's a man. He's got, he's got money. Uh, he's got a nice car and stuff. He's got muscles. You know, he looks like Craig. Uh, he's, he's macho. You know, he's tough. He's got he's power. He's in charge. That's a man. Yeah, that guy, he's in, he's in charge. He's successful. Look at all the, the jobs he's started. Look at this. He, that's, a sex, that's a man. He's successful. Or look at all the women he's gotten. Man, that guy, he's lucky. Man, he's a man. That's the world's image of a man. Here's God's image of a man. This is not exhaustive, by the way, um, but this is just something I came up with, and um, yeah, hopefully it works. You know, a man's image of God is he's a worshiper of God, like David, that mighty man of God. The warrior David was a worshiper of God. He wasn't afraid to write songs, to play music, to worship the creator. He wasn't afraid of that. He's a man's man. You tell him he's a wuss for, for singing. Uh, God's image of a man, he stands up for what is right, like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood up for what was right. That's a man. He lives with integrity, like Joseph, when he was tempted in many ways as a slave. and had, he, he could have been put to death, and yet he did not give in. Does what God says, like Joshua he didn't care about the giants in the land. All he knew is, God says, go, man. We got to go. 
Or like Abram, I don't know where I'm going, but he said, go, let's go. Those are men. They don't question it, they go. And men are compassion and love for others, like Jesus. That's a man. Now, that's a tough list. That's hard. It's hard to be a man in this world. There's a lot of responsibility on our shoulders, and that's why a lot of men give up. And a lot of women out there saying, that's not my husband. (laughs) What you're describing is not my husband. Maybe you need to talk to my husband. Well, you know what? Let me talk to your husband for just a second here. Men, it's time to get serious. It's time to connect with God. It's time to get real serious. The end is coming. It's about time we get busy doing the things of God and taking these things seriously and not giving in to these worlds. Now, look, most guys are bound, talking about freedom here, most guys are bound by their pride. They'll do it themselves. I'll figure it out myself. I'm a man. I'll figure it out. I'll do it myself. I know how to do this. I got this. Kind of like I did when I first had kids. I got this. I know what I'm doing until I had Jeremiah. And then I'm like, I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> Life has a way of humbling you. And, uh, but men think they got this. They're like, okay, it's not, it's not crazy yet. I got this until their wife leaves them, the kids hate them, and then it's too late. What are you going to do? So what, what do guys do? Most of the time, they just give up. They give up. They quit. They're defeated. Now, women, I don't expect you to understand this because I think women are a little bit tougher in this area. They don't quit. They, they hang in a little bit longer than us guys. They're just like, it's my family. I'm going to hang on. But guys, we check out. When things don't start going our way, what do we do? Honey, I'm going in the garage. I'm going to go work on the truck. I got some stuff to go cut outside. I'm going to, uh, there's some video games I got to catch up. I need level 17. I can, I can control that. Uh, there's some sports on I got to watch. The guys are hanging out uh, around, you know, whatever. We just check out. And we're just like, I, I, I can't deal with this. I don't know what to do. Instead of humbling ourselves, we just check out. It's not good, guys. And I hope there's no one here that does that. But if there is, it's time to repent. We don't start defeated. You can get ready, Jeremiah. Most of the time, we, we, think, like, we think like this. So when we start off, like young men, you, you pay attention to this. So most young men... They start families, and they think it's going to be like this. Yeah, right there. Okay. So it's like, uh, honey, we're going to do devotions every night. Our kids are going to be quiet. We're going to read the Bible, and we're going to be super spiritual. But for many of us, it looks more like this. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> You know, we end up fighting with each other and bickering and arguing, and, it, and our ideal goes out the window, and we're like, what happened? Something along the line didn't work out, and we try hard to keep it and, and, and keep it and, and, and try to make it work, and uh, uh, instead, it gets worse and worse, and I know a lot of you have been in that boat. And look, I'm not judging, man. Parenting is not easy. Amen? I want to know how many parents out there, I want everyone to be honest right now, okay? Parents, uh, parents with kids that are, you know, more than two, (laughs) and maybe even two, but parents out there, how many of you have failed your children? Raise your hand. 
in some way, have you raised your prayer? I, I mean, I hope I see every parent's hand in the air, you know? I mean, my goodness. Uh, look, look around, children. I want you to see your parents. Look at this. We admit we're not perfect. This is hard. We, we, we just, we, we were happy to get married. We're on the road to success. And it's like, hey, guys, we're going to uh, uh, be a happy family. And she's, she loves me. And this is all great. And then it gets hard. They cry in the middle of the night. And you're like, shut up. And you just want some sleep. And then there's two of them. And then there's three of them. And you're getting stressed. It's not working out how you planned it. And Brand talked about that a little bit this morning, I think. And uh, so it's, it's, you gotta come up with a plan, right? Parenting isn't easy. Children, listen to this. Kids, listen. There's a lot of you kids that are judgmental and judging your parents. Shame on you. You need to step back and check yourself. You need to look back in the mirror. Like who give you the right to start judging your parents? Have you been in their shoes? I don't think so. You need to relax a little bit. You need a little bit of grace here. Your parents are trying the hardest they can. Eh, I hope so, at least, maybe not, I don't know. But in theory, they're, they're doing the best they can. You gotta give them a little grace. This is not an easy job. It is difficult, it's stressful. You ask every parent here in this place right now, what do they want? They want their kids to follow God. And they're doing whatever they can. And sometimes they do it too much. And they're doing it too hard that they squeeze the life out of their kids. And, and they, they go crazy and they run away and they do stuff that they shouldn't. And you're like, what happened? And uh, it, it, it's not pretty. And it's like, I, I don't know what happened. And so here's a few things I think we can do as, as parents. And look, a lot of us are in this boat, right? We need to plan for this transition. So, okay, okay, what do we mean? So, okay, we have, we have these boys that are becoming the men. So they're trying to connect what I did before, trying to connect them, okay, yeah. So we got these boys that are wanting to become men, and even your daughters wanting to become women, and they're living in our house. And it gets a little bit friction sometimes because they're trying to assert themselves. They're like, hey, I'm, I'm 18, 19, 20. Maybe they're 15, <laughs> thinking they're the big stuff. And um, it, gets, it gets tough, because you're like, hey, I'm the man of the house. <laughs> what do you think you're doing, little punk? <laughs> you're trying to think you're someone in this house? But this is very natural. Think about it. When you were 18 and 19, didn't you think you knew everything? <laughs> yeah, of course you did, yeah. <laughs> Until you got kids, and then you, didn't, you knew you didn't know anything. Um, but don't worry, when your kids are 18, they'll let you know they know everything, and it's a, it's a vicious circle. But anyway, we have to plan for this transition. It doesn't just happen. In fact, if it just happens, it's usually disastrous. So here's the, here's the, the, uh, here's the rub. The Bible is kind of quiet on this issue. You know, uh, when, when does a kid leave a house? Now, I have my own opinions on this. Uh, I was talking to a friend earlier about this. I, I have my own opinions of when I think a kid should leave a house. Uh, and uh, people disagree with me, and people have their own theories, and that's fine. Whatever you come up with, that's your issue between you and God. I think there's a lot of grace there. But um, I think whatever it is, you have to be very clear with your kids very early. But we have a thing called laws in this country, and uh, 
unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, <laughs> depends on how you're looking at it. As a kid, you're like, fortunately, you know, you can't lock them in your closet, you know, you can't keep them in your house forever, right? Um, right? <laughs> I got nervous there, it got really quiet, maybe they're all locking them in the closet. You can't keep them in your house forever. They're eventually going to leave the house. And sometimes they leave the house in rebellion, and they don't, they don't do it in a godly way. And I know a number of us have been touched by that, and it breaks our hearts. It's not good, and it hurts, and it's devastating. And at that point, a lot of parents check out too. They feel ineffective. They feel, I failed. A lot of us feel like we failed at times. No, man, you're just a normal parent. Yeah, you might have failed here and there, but man, don't get out of the fight. This is exactly what the devil wants. He wants to slowly pick us apart, and just because we have a sense of failure, because we didn't have the perfect family that we thought we were gonna have, or because it didn't work out exactly how we wanted, we check out and say, you know what? I'm no longer gonna do ministry anymore. I'm not, I'm not worthy of it. As if you were worthy before. Well, who, who's worthy in here to, to share God's word? No one. I'm not worthy of it. No one's worthy of it. In fact, I was talking to our church group the other day, and I was like, think about how God did this. It's not what I would have done. If I were God, and thank goodness I'm not, but if I were God, I would be like, I would send my son, okay, like Jesus did, you know, or like God did, and Jesus, okay, you, you're going to be on the earth. But instead of for dying for their sins, I would be like, how about you just tell them how to live? and then rule over them, and when they get out of line, you smack them and tell them, hey, you do what I said. And you be that example, and you tell them the message that I wanna share. It's kinda how I would do it. He's the perfect man, so they can't look at him and say, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a failure, you're, you're a sinner. You know, be like, he's sinless. How can you question him? Instead, God uses us. Think about that. He used flawed people to bring his message to other flawed people. That's amazing. I find that mind-boggling. I find that awesome, too, that God can take us flawed people, even in our good and bad, I can still minister to someone and give them the gospel. I can still help other people, even in my situations that are, are out of control. And yet I can still minister to someone and they can get saved and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. But so many people quit because they feel like a failure. That's, that's too bad. That really is too bad. Because uh, um, it, it's hard not to get personal, but I don't want to because there's, there's, uh, people know people. <laughs> so, uh, but it, it's just, it breaks my heart. Uh, a particular brother that I know, just is, he's checked out. And I've tried whatever, and he's just checking out more and more. And he's like, I'm just not, I'm done. I can't anymore. I, I can't. I failed so much. My family is gone. They hate me. I'm done. I can't, I, I failed. What do you say to that brother? You say, come on, come with me. You're not a failure. Come on. You failed, but you're not a failure. Jesus doesn't call you a failure. Come on. Let's go. Let's pick up the pieces. Let's go. Jesus is good. God is good to us. So here's part of the problem. 
as parents. So kids, we're gonna, I'm going to let you in. So parents, don't get, me, don't, don't get mad at me or throw things at me because I'm letting them in on a little secret. But um, kids, I'm going to let you in on a secret for us parents, okay? Part of the problem is that we have controlled your life for so long. You know, you're a baby, we, we change your diapers, we, you know, we, we put clothes on you, we, we, we feed you, we do everything for you. We make every decision for you, we tell you when you go to bed, and then as you get older, we still do all that stuff, and we make sure you brush your teeth, brush your teeth, did you eat? You know, we, just the basics of life. It takes you about 15 years to figure all that stuff out. And uh, so who's the dumb one here? You know, you know, uh, so anyway, the, uh, look, we were all kids too, okay? <laughs> but it's, uh, so for, for most of your life, you kids, we have controlled you. And so all of a sudden, you're becoming an adult, and we have to let go. Well, that's tough. That's hard to do. You, you, you may think, well, dude, just let me go. Well, it's not so simple, because we've been making all your decisions. And that's why I say we have to have a plan, parents. We have to plan for this transition because it's not easy. And if we don't trust our kids as they get older, they're going to start to bow up. And they're, they're going to start to rebel a little bit. They're going to start to wonder what's out there. And they're going to want to say, they're going to start judging mom and dad because they don't know what we're doing. In Ephesians 4, 6 and Colossians 2, 21, I don't, I'm not going to have the verse up there, but they both talk about fathers specifically, provoking our children to wrath. And I think that's what a lot of us have done unknowingly. We're not trying to do that. I don't think we're, hey, I'm going to make my kids angry here, you know? Like, we don't go into it with that kind of motivation. But it happens sometimes because we, we, we can't figure this phase out because they're becoming a man, but they're a boy. They're, they're adolescents. You kids don't understand that because you think you're, you're an adult. And uh, we, we don't know how to deal with this. You don't know how to deal with this. We don't know how to deal with this. You're becoming an adolescent. We've never had adolescents. So think about this. So this is why I'm saying, kids, have grace on your parents, man. We've never done this before. So we had a discussion about this at a fellowship before, and I won't mention any names because I won't embarrass him. But anyway, uh, he was talking about convictions. And, um, and should parents, like, push convictions on their children? And, and uh, you know, that was a good question, and I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course, I mean, parents are going to push convictions on it. I don't think that's, that's just going to happen by nature. You know what I'm saying? You have your rules. You, you have your ways of living. It's going to be pushed on them. Now, once they get out of the house and you keep trying to push them and push them on, on them, it gets a little bit dicey. <laughs> you know, it's like they are their own people at that point, and they need to develop who they are, and especially if they're married. Parents, if you have married kids, I'm going to be bold here. You need to let them develop into a, a couple. You know, don't try to get in there and control what they're doing, and that includes people that are uh, engaged or, see, you know, it's like we, we make, we start to control things that what they're going to do after they're married. Like, what right do we have to do that, honestly? Did your parents have, tell you what to do and where to live and what to be and, and all that? And here's a newsflash. When they get married, they can change their mind and say, I changed my mind. And anyway, so what's the point? Uh, you know, we want to do these things in love. So we must let our ch children follow Christ 
and not just us. So that's the part of the convictions. I want my kids to follow in my ways. That would be awesome, right? I mean, hey, I, I'm right. I know everything, and I got everything right, right? Uh, not really. But, the, but having my kids follow after me would be an honor. That would be great. But if all they do is follow me in my ways, they're a follower of me and not Jesus Christ. I want them to follow Christ. And sometimes that's going to be bumps and bruises, and sometimes that's going to be mistakes that are big mistakes. And just like we did, we had to follow Christ, and we had to figure that out. And sometimes we made some bumps and bruises and hit our heads and, and like, man, I wish I didn't do that. They're going to have to learn that for themselves. And uh, so we have to realize I can't do everything for them at 19, 20, 20. There's that transition period. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's going to be different for every family. So we must, must let our kids follow Christ and not just us. And in fact, I, I, I failed in this area with, uh, so we were, let me get a little personal here. Uh, Levi, are you all right with this? <laughs> so, uh, so Levi's my son-in-law, and uh, he's a great guy. And, uh, but so I love my daughters. I, I, I am a father of daughters, as I always say. I have five daughters. I have two sons, so I'm a father of sons too. But I have daughters, and my household is filled with estrogen. And I enjoy it. I love it. You know, I love my daughters and my wife. And, uh, you know, but my daughters, I, I have, there's a special place in my heart. You, you fathers who have daughters, you, you know what I'm talking about. And so some guy comes around and wants to take one of your daughters. <laughs> so you're going to be a little protective, you know, and you're like, ah. So Levi comes around, and it's going well. And, um, but I have some concerns as a father, and uh, especially ones with, like, when he's maybe thinking about living on his parents' property. And I'm like, no offense to Russ and Birgit, you know, but I'm like, you need to be your own man. And then he's like, well, I'm going to move five minutes away. And I'm like, well, you need to be your own man. And well, I'm going to do, well, you need to be your own man. And then I found myself saying, I'm making him obey me. And by, by making these stipulations on him, like, well, I don't think it's good for you to move over to live with it. I think maybe we should hold off the wedding. I don't think I ever said that, did I? I don't think. But, you know, that's a good, good, good ploy, though, though. You know? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, don't do that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's wrong of me to start dictating to him. I gave him full assurance that when, when I said, you can propose to my daughter, you have to start making all the decisions. And I trusted him in that. If I trust him with my daughter, I trust him in making decisions. Even if ones that are more like, uh, uh, and well, there was none of those really for, for him. But, but, but there was a couple concerns. And I found myself balking at that, and it surprised me. Because I thought, oh man, I'm a cool dad, and they can do whatever. But this is my daughter we're talking about. And uh, so uh, I realized that I'm like, you know what? I'm putting a lot of pressure on Levi by in, in, uh, putting myself in there and wedging myself and saying, I think you need it. So now he's got to try to please his parents. He's got to try, to try to please Abigail, and he's got to try to please me. What is he to do? He's just like, I don't know what to do, and I'm putting a lot of stress on him, and I realize that, and I'm like, 
I'm sorry, Levi, I'm out. I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. You do whatever you want, even if that means living on your parents' property right next door to them. I don't care, because I, honestly, I, I don't care. But I, I, what I was concerned about, and it's a legitimate fear, is I don't want, uh, you know, I think a boy needs to become a man. And mom and dad, sometimes it's hard to do that if you're right there living with them. And so the irony is, is that Jeremiah moved back to my property. So, <laughs> like, yeah. so anyway, uh, but it's good. So anyway, so here's the thing. Let me finish up here real quick, and this is what I really want to talk about. Kids, they have an illusion of freedom. So what do I mean by that? They have an illusion of freedom. They... They, they, they get older, and they, 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 uh, they, they want to do what they want, right? Uh, let me read this. Uh, I, was re- I was writing this, and it doesn't make sense to me, so. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, uh, kids have an illusion of freedom. So when, when a child, I don't, I don't care how old you are, you know, a child from the time they're 5 to 25, really, um, they have a, a weird sense of, a, of, of freedom. So their, their sense of freedom, and this is not to knock you young people, but this is just, it's just natural. Because you have been controlled for so much, you've been, you've been told what to do so much, and maybe your parents have given you that little bit of grace there, and you started making some of your decisions and all that. Your idea of freedom is oh, I can do this now. I can, I can dress how I want to do. I can, oh, I can watch this movie. You know, I can, oh, I can read this book now, and I can listen to this music, and I, it's all external stuff you think about. You think about external stuff. You're just like the Israelites. You think about external stuff because it was the external stuff that was put on you. Does that make sense? A lot of the external stuff was put on you, and so it's natural to think of, hey, I've got freedom now. I can do whatever was in my heart. Think about that. Think about that, young people. When you get that chance for freedom, I get that chance finally to break out and to leave my parents and I can do whatever I want. What is it in your heart that you really want to do? Is it to dress whatever you want to dress like, be like the world and keep up with the fashions of the world? Is it to listen to ungodly music and all that stuff, to listen, to watch all the movies that you ever wanted to watch that were ungodly, that your parents were trying to keep you away from in the first place? And you're like, I got the freedom to do all that stuff. Yeah, you might, you do. That's what the world does. The world has freedom. They have no restraint. They don't care. They don't answer to God. They have freedom. They have a false sense of freedom. They have an illusion of freedom. In fact, they're bound. They don't know it. And that's the, the, that's the trick. So my question to you young people specifically is what is in your heart? What is in your heart? Whatever's in your heart is going to come out. And so when you finally get out from whatever restraints were holding you back, oh, it's me living in a nice home provided with food and a place to live. Go live in the ghetto somewhere. Go live in a third world country and see how well you got it. You have it really well. Take it for granted sometimes. But what is in your heart? I found this. And I know people may not agree with me, but I don't care because I'm right. And uh, I just am. 
But I have found this in, in the, when I was in the world, when I went to Bible college, when I got married and got, got to know some of you. Every child, well, let me put it this way. Have you ever heard, you know, a sheltered kid, when they finally get out in the world, they go crazy? You ever heard that? Yeah, you know, I don't believe that. Uh, this is what I believe. A sheltered child that has sin in their heart goes crazy. That's what, that's what happens. Just like a worldly kid with sin in their heart goes crazy. I've seen crazy kids at college, a lot of crazy kids at college. You know why? Because they have sin in their heart. But we don't point those kids out because, well, they're already crazy. They, they've already had the opportunity to be crazy in high school, in middle school. But the sheltered kids, the ones that were a little bit more protected, you know, when they go off to college and they finally have the restraints off and they go crazy, we point out and go, see, it's because they were sheltered. No, it's because they had sin in their heart. Their desires were for sin. And when they had the first opportunity, they gave in. That's the problem. It's not because you were sheltered. It's because you have sin in your heart. That's the problem. You are bound. You think you're free, but you're bound. That's the problem. All right, is that a little too deep? Is that too harsh? Okay. Uh, the false sense of illusion. The Jews had the same exact problem. We've been going through the book of John at, at home uh, for Bible study, and I am amazed. I, I'm not breaking any new ground here, okay? But I'm amazed at how awesome the book of John is, okay? I <laughs> know, I'm not breaking any new ground. But it has been a while since I studied it verse by verse, and so we're going through it. And every time I read a chapter, it, it makes me cry. It just makes me weep because the, the deity of Christ and the person who Christ is just jumps out on every page. It's just like, do you no wonder everyone passes out the book of John to new Christians? I mean, this is awesome stuff. I'm like, I know I'm not breaking new ground here, you know. Like, hey, book of Romans is awesome. Well, no kidding, you know, no kidding. But here in John 8, 33, it says, they answered him, we be Abraham's seed, and we never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, he shall be made free? Now, Jesus just got done saying, uh, the truth, you, you know, um, help me out, someone. Uh, uh, you know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, right? He just got done saying that. And they mocked him. This is Jesus. And I feel like this is exactly where some of the young people are, where they have a false sense of freedom. Like, we're not in bondage. What are you talking about? As a, as a friend of mine was saying, we got a, we got a big cage. <laughs> you know, we, we, we can't even see the fences. We're, we got freedom. But here, think about this. In the eight chapters of John, this shows every chapter, like John specifically wrote this, I almost think it ranks up there with Paul's Romans on how well written this was and how connected it was. It was it's almost a legal document of the deity of Christ and the person of Jesus and, and how he writes, it's, it's, it's awesome. You should study the book of John, it's awesome. Um, but the first eight chapters, and I'm just going to go through here, the, the eight chapters, to show the callousness and the state in which the Israelites were in at the time of Jesus. It was a very difficult time in Israel's history. In chapter 1, and this is some people in here, some kids, I hope you listen to this. Chapter 1, they were ignorant of the forerunner, John the Baptist. They were ignorant. They're blind to his presence. Jesus is right in front of them. They don't know who he is. That is where the state of Israel was. They didn't see him. In, in chapter 2, they were a joyless state. They were desecrating the father's house. He had to overturn the tables in, in, because they had made his house 
of house of prayer into a, a, a den of thieves. In chapter 3, they were dead in sins. And they need to be born again. Nicodemus, they had to talk about being born again. They were dead in sins. That's, that's the same with us in our state if you're not born again. Number four, they were callous and indifferent to the Gentile neighbors, the, to the Samaritan woman at the well when Jesus went up there and had that awesome conversation with the Samaritan woman. It showed the indifference that the Israelites had. Even the disciples did not understand, you know, the Samaritan issue here. And Jesus crossed over that. Number five, the, the impotent man, the blind, the halt, the withered at the pool. All these people. It was a picture right here of all these people that are blind. Halt, they couldn't move. It's a picture of Israel and where they are at the time. And Jesus picks one out and heals them. Number six, and all they could think about, by the way, was that he's walking on the Sabbath. Not the fact that he healed a man that was lame. Number six, they were hungry and had no appetite for the bread of life. And they, they, he fed the, the, the 5,000 and was uh, saying that he's the bread of life, and yet they didn't have any appetite for the Messiah. They didn't want him. Number seven, the officers were sent to arrest Christ, and they didn't. They couldn't. Number eight, the Israel, Israel was unfaithful, the adulterous woman, the woman caught in adultery. That was what Israel was. Israel was unfaithful to God. The first eight chapters, and it goes on even chapter 9 and 10, and that's where we stop, so I, there's more. But it was um, uh, the, the adulterous woman pulled out, and, and God showed grace. And he shows grace to us right now. Everyone here, we, all of us, are just like Israel. We are dead in sins. We're callous and indifferent. We were all these things. And Christ came and says, who, who, who judges you? Who, who condemns you? Do I see any around you? No. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. That's his message. They were in bondage and didn't see it. And many of you are in bondage and don't see it. And this is why you need to listen. Because God is good. He's merciful. And you can say, I've heard the stories over and over and over. I know it, buddy. I know it. Exactly what the Israelites said. Dude, we know this. We got this, man. Think about what they said. I want to go back to that. I forgot about that. In, uh, in John 8, 33, they answered him, said, We have Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou? You shall be made free. So Jesus is offering them freedom here. If you do what I say and you believe on me, you will be made free. And they said, We're not in bondage. What were they? They were in bondage right there to the Romans. Are they blind? They were born in bondage. They were born out of, out of Egypt. And they were in bondage many times throughout their history. What are they talking about? They are so deceived. They don't know what they're talking about. And that's why I feel like some people here think they're fine. I'm not in bondage. I'm free. I'm good. We're good. We're good. You need to look at yourself in the mirror. Are you? How, how, how are you? Are you dead in your sins? Are you in the kingdom of his dear son? Are you, been, are you in darkness? Are you in light? Which one are you in? There's only two ways. Fill in the blank on any appetite, and you'll find no freedom, only bondage. In fact, 
it only increases the appetite. So whatever your appetites are, whatever your desires are, or your wants that are in your heart, you'll find no freedom. That's why I'm saying the world has no restraints. They do the same things. They can do whatever they feel like, right? They have no, they don't care. It's like, you know, there's no God. Atheists, they can do whatever they feel like. They're not free. They're bound. So true freedom. What is true freedom? In Galatians 5.24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Look, man, it's not about what I want. My heart's desires. It's about what Christ wants. What does Christ want? That's what I need to find out. Because I've been crucified with him. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. A lot of this is on your house. But do we think about it? And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Think about that. God loves you so much that he died for you. Now, we can quote that verse all day long, John 3.16. The more I study John 3.16, the more I'm amazed of it. It is an awesome passage, and it's most popular passage for a reason, because it is awesome. God loves you. Think about that. God loves you and gave himself. Galatians 6.14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto, you, unto, unto it, unto the world. Is the world crucified to you or does it fascinate you? I feel like it fascinates a lot of people in here. Time to get serious, people. The world is out there, and we want to be a part of it. We're like, oh, man, the fashions of this world. To people, I don't want to look like a pilgrim. I know that we make fun of that. You know, make it look like a pilgrim. You don't have to look like a pilgrim, but come on, man. You don't have to, you don't have to look like them. You don't have to listen to what they listen to. You don't have to watch what they watch. I'm not going to tell you what to listen to and watch. That's none of my business. Jesus will tell you. Jesus will tell you. My question is, are you crucified to this world? Because it's what the Bible says. And I believe the Bible. I'm not going to glory in my own doing. I'm going to glory in the cross. By whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. I'm a dead man walking. Kind of like what Brother Breaker was saying yesterday, but I'm a zombie. Yeah, I'm a happy zombie. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just walking through this life as happy as I can be. Because I am crucified to this world. This world has nothing for me, and this world has everything. That's, that's, that's a line from a song, <laughs> and I thought it was a cool line. But think about that. This world has everything, and yet it has nothing for me. It has nothing. That's freedom. When I can look at this world and say, I don't care. I don't want this. I want Christ and him crucified and everything that he has for me. I want to be in the heavenlies, as, as Colossians puts it, that set my affections on things above, not on things of this earth. My affections are in heaven. I want to be there. That's where I'm at. That's where love is. That's where peace is. That's where joy is. And I want to bring my family there. And I want to do that in love, joy, and peace, and kindness, and, and goodness, and all those wonderful things. And uh, this world, it can go pound sand. That's what it can do, because I don't care. And uh, that, my friend, is freedom. 
When you don't care about what the world thinks, you're free. You're free. You're free. You're free not to sin. You're free not to care about what they think. You don't care about what they're doing because you're so focused on Jesus Christ that nothing matters but what he wants. That's freedom. And I love it. Man, to be so consumed by Jesus Christ, there's nothing like it in this world. You should try it sometime. It's awesome. Uh, Galatians 5.1. Stand, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So stand in our liberty. We are free. Most of the time we think of liberty as the, that, the, all the external things. All the external things. But God doesn't care. He, he wants the internal. He wants you. Stand fast in that liberty. I am free to serve him. Luke eleven twenty three. Now this is, uh, this is where it gets a little tough here. Luke eleven twenty three. Jesus is speaking here. He's speaking to the, the Pharisees and to his followers, disciples. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth, gathereth not scatters. So if you're not with him, you're against him. The love of God, the, 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 the God of this universe who sent his son to die for our sins, to lovingly pay for your sins, and all you have to do is believe that. It's a free gift. If you reject that, you're an enemy. You're an enemy of the cross. You're an enemy of everything that God stands for. You, you're not gathering, you're scattering. You are enemy. Think about that. It's tough. But here's the good news. In John 3, 14. <clears throat> As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And if you know this story, it's a very small story in the Old Testament, but Jesus points that out and is talking to Nicodemus and saying, this is what has to happen. As, the, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, they had rebelled. They had sinned against God. And, and snakes went in the camp and were biting them and killing them. And they were begging Moses to do something. And he prays, and God says, make a bronze uh, snake and, and put it on a stick or staff, whatever, and, and put it up there. And all they had to do was look, look to it. That's all they had to do. I'm sure there were some that didn't look, and they weren't healed. But everyone that looked was healed. Think about that. John 3, 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We'd like to quote John 3, 16, but did you hear what John 3, 15 says? Whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How many of you want to believe? How many believe? Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of rhetorical, but yeah, how many believe? For God so loved the world that he gave. His only uh, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's our God. Our God is a giving God. Our God is a loving God. He's calling out to you right now. You that are deceived in thinking that you're fine. Where are you? Are you going to believe? God's good. He loves us. 
I hope all that made sense. I know we went all over the place, but I really hope that made sense. Look, we don't do altar calls. I was so tempted to do one. But you know, if, if that is you, and you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ this weekend, it didn't have to be tonight. It could have been when Larry was talking or Robert Breaker was talking, and maybe even Chuck later. <laughs> There's a bell out there that's reserved for people who get saved this weekend. If you've gotten saved this weekend, please do us a favor of ring that bell as loud as you can. And please, kids, don't ring that bell just for the fun of it. It's reserved for people that have gotten saved. Like you don't need to. I got saved in a camp, and the, 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 uh, uh, the preacher, you know, he went on and was like, hey, you're sitting in row H for hell. And I was sitting in row H for hell, and I was getting really nervous. And he's like, and that's you going to hell. And right now, if you want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, come down here. And, and I resisted. I resisted. I'm like, I'm not going forward. That's silly stuff. You know, that's silly stuff. I don't need to go down front. But boy, was my heart pounding. And I was like, do I need to go down? You know, what if I really need to go down? And I was scared that night because I wanted to believe what he was preaching. I wanted Jesus. I was tired of my life, of failure, disappointment. I was tired. I wanted love and truth, finally, at 17. And so finally, I, 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 I didn't get saved that weekend when I should have, but I got home, and I just remember, uh, it was a charismatic church, so some of you might not understand this, but uh, they, they, they had prayer time, and people go out in the aisles, and they anoint them with oil and stuff like that, and uh, they pray for them. Uh, but the, um, and so I just said, you know what, it, it, it's Sunday, I'm, I'm just, God is dealing with me, like, I, what do I do here? And I just remember stepping out in the aisle and wanting prayer, and I just started bawling. Because I wanted Jesus. And whatever it took, are you willing to do whatever it takes? But it doesn't take anything. All it takes is a belief. Do you believe what Jesus did on the cross, that his blood was shed for you, that he covered you, your sin, You weren't good. You didn't deserve it. You were a dirty, filthy sinner. And his blood makes you clean. He makes you acceptable in his sight now. That's the goodness of God. I'm not worthy, but I'm wearing his robe of righteousness. I don't deserve it, but I'm wearing it now. And that day, in that aisle... I became Christ's and never looked back from that day on. Is that you tonight? Is that someone here? That today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, I really pray, Lord, that today someone, you're speaking to someone. I know you're speaking to someone. And I pray that someone would not ignore it and pretend that everything is all right. I pray, Lord, that they heard me and that they would get along with you or come find someone and believe on you, Lord. God, I I pray that someone would come to you this weekend, Lord. And we thank you for your goodness. You are a merciful, 
great God that saves sinners. We don't deserve it. You died for us while we were enemies. God, that is amazing love. I don't understand. God, we thank you for all your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.